0: Hello, and welcome to Gay for Horror, the show where not all the movies are gay, but I sure am. How are you doing? I am, um, I really wanted to do, like, I swear I really just wanted to come on and say, Hi, I'm Shelley Duvall. You know that clip (laughs) from when Shelley Duvall used to host that, like, PBS-esque television show, and someone put put together a montage of her just turning to the camera and saying, Hi, I'm Shelly Duvall. I really, I, I want to be Shelley Duvall in my heart. Anyway, uh, uh, hello. Uh, so <laughs> uh, what I'm quickly going to do all here, um, uh, perhaps to someone's benefit or enjoyment, is give you all a quick rundown of what it was that I watched that were horror movies in the month of August in the year of 2020. Uh, I did this for July, and I sort of promised myself I would at the very least, once a month do this episode. Because it's mostly literally, well, it is only me looking at my Letterboxd account and telling you what I watched that I liked. Uh, And for me, like three stars and above means I liked it. Uh, And below that means I didn't really like it. Uh, And I don't really talk a lot about movies that I don't like. So I'm going to tell you some movies that I saw in the month of August that I did like. Uh, Most of these are going to be new, uh, a lot of them brand new for the month of August, some of them relatively recent and like new to me and new on streaming services that might make them freshly available to some people. And those are kind of the rules. Um, (laughs) I will do more full-length reviews, I just have to see something that I sort of particularly can't live without talking about, which uh, happens less often than uh we might all hope for. Uh so let me pull up and pull up my film diary and (laughs) and tell you what I saw. Um I watched a lot of things that were not horror, but let me pull up what I did like. So I'm gonna start uh with a movie called Thirty Miles from Nowhere. Uh this is a really fun uh kind of uh I sometimes talk about uh films that are in, quote-unquote, the mood of the macabre, which is my way of kind of saying that they're not scary, but they are sort of spooky. Uh, uh, and my my closest way of expressing what, what would be the mood of the macabre that is not scary is something like Scooby-Doo, uh, which is to say that it has cobwebs and, you know, old houses and lots of tropes from horror. Uh, but it's not expressly scary and in fact so it can't be comedic um so 30, 30 miles from nowhere is kind of in that vein of being a spooky but not a scary movie uh it's not especially scary and it is fairly comedic so uh, if you're looking for something that's in the realm of horror that is not uh Depressing or, or uh, violent or or something in any way vile. Uh, you know, I think this is uh, this is something that is playful and whimsical and has violence in it, but it's fairly uh, fairly um, mild. Uh, and so, essentially, the premise of the movie is a group of friends travel to a, a cabin in the, the woods. I, every last month, every movie was a cabin, and this um, there's a lot of cabins. Uh, but but friends travel to a cabin in the woods, and they're going to the funeral of a of a friend, a, a kind of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for a former classmate that's a uh, from college, and so it's a bit of a reunion vibe, and all the friends get together, and they all have a variety of different interactions regarding things that happened in their pasts, their shared pasts, or things that are ongoing in their current relationships with each other and with significant others who join them. And so it has a sort of like comedic friend group energy, Uh, but they are going back to this funeral of uh, a a former classmate who has uh, killed himself, and there's some sort of hijinks and mystery around his death. Uh, This is, I watched it on Amazon Prime here in the U.S., uh, but I believe also it was just added to Shudder, uh, and it might be international on Shudder, I'm not positive. Uh, But this is, um, well, let's just say this, one of my favorite parts. This is uh, the wife of the recently deceased friend is played by Carrie Preston, who's one of the great character actors uh, in modern television. Uh, She was on True Blood, she was on The Good Wife um she has on well she plays a character called Elspeth Tassioni on the good wife uh, for which she won an emmy i'm fairly certain and um the premise of her character is like a very classic tv character which is someone who is incredibly good at their job but incredibly disorganized in other parts of their life uh I feel seen, uh, but but <laughs> but uh, her, there's a moment that I always remember of her character, and it's a moment where she hands Juliana Margulies a stack of boxes, and you know she says to Juliana Margulies, "Look at all this paper," and the <laughs> the premise is that she, as the lawyer, knows that the cross-examining lawyer will ask Juliana Margulies what she the lawyer, Elsbeth, said to her when she handed her these documents, and she needs Juliana Margulies to be able to accurately and confidently say, Look at all this paper. And then uh, Juliana Margulies gets to give testimony and they ask her that exact question, and she gets to very proudly and confidently say that when she was handed these documents, Elsbeth said to her, Look at all this paper. So that's like a refrain that lives in my brain uh, whenever there's. Uh, a, a debris and 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 boxes and things in my life is. Look at all this paper. Um. So she's one of the great. She's just so good at at giving, a, a, kind of you know, a, a bit of, of neurosis and empathy to any character. Um. I love character actors. I have since learned in my time on the the Earth that a lot of character actors resent being called character actors, which makes a tremendous amount of sense because often it's used to imply that they're not essentially leading material or that they're not. Or in some ways, it's been used to stifle or stymie their career. Uh, so, like someone like, say, Thelma Ritter, who's a classic character actor who, like, was nominated for supporting actress six times and never won, um, which is which was previously the record, by the way, uh, for the most acting nominations for someone who hadn't ever won. Uh, she was tied with Deborah Carr for six, but then Glenn Close beat both of them with seven after she lost for the wife. That's not really important. But anyway, but so I know a lot, of a lot of character actors actually don't like being called character actors. So I I don't know if it's a I don't know if I should retire calling character actors as such, but I like those are my favorite people. Like I just want to watch like a film festival of like Judy Greer films and uh, you know uh, Parker Posey and uh, Melanie Linsky and Clea Duval and Natasha Leone. Like that's kind of like all I want. So uh, uh I love character actors, I love Carrie Preston, Uh, she's wonderful in this, uh, and I would say the most favorable thing I can communicate about it is it reminded me a a bit of one of my most favorite horror movies, which is James Whale's The Old Dark House, in the sense that it is like The Old Dark House, if if you've not seen it, it's on Shudder, I believe, still, I hope, I think, Uh, but it's from 1932, so it's probably fairly accessible. Uh, through means on the internet Uh, I don't think it's being held with any great concern Uh, you know it's not a very hot copyright I don't think Uh, but uh, it's just great because it's like it's sort of the archetype of of every kind of old 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 house movie or even to some extent the Cabin in the Woods movies because it's just People get caught in the rain and pull over on a dark stormy night and they end up in a house full of strange characters like that's like the most quintessential entry into every point of horror and uh, The Old Dark House is great because it's basically a comedy uh, with Charles Lawton and it's just people behaving kind of wildly and foolishly in a sort of macabre house full of secrets it's great and, and this movie has that kind of energy and I feel like um, a kind of constant refrain that will come up I guess throughout all of these or many of these and has come up in a lot of episodes that I have recorded is the sort of like skepticism that people have toward horror that works and with kind of on different wavelengths than just kind of conventional horror which it to me means essentially a film that's structured around a series of scare moments Uh, This is not structured on a series of scare moments, per se, and for that reason, I feel like the reviews for it have been kind of, like, tepid and somewhat dismissive. But I think horror horror that is, you know, uh, a rainy night in a secluded house with secrets is, I think, among the most classic forms of horror, and I think this film does that thing well. Uh, And it's not something that is done a lot, uh, at least right now. Uh, So I just love this. I just love that. So it's really fun. I recommend it. uh, 30 miles from nowhere. The next movie I want to point out is a movie called The Dark Red. This one I also watched on Amazon Prime, and I I just have no idea where else you can watch it. But it's uh, really wonderful. These, these, by the way, are fairly brand new. Both of these are, I think, technically from the year 2020 Uh, in terms of distribution. I think probably they they debuted digitally is my best guess. Uh, but the dark red is um, so okay. So last year I reviewed a movie called ICU, I C S E E, not ICU as an in intensive care unit, um, which I like to specify in case you want to Google it. But I see as in with your eyes, you. Uh, and that movie, uh, which I love, uh, one of the things it does so well that I talked about a lot. I did a full review of it if you want to listen to it. Uh, one of the things I love most about it is that it is essentially a movie that changes genres more than once. Uh, and I don't want to disclose how it changes genres, but it, it, it sort of starts in an area that you think is quite familiar. And then suddenly it, it, it turns really, really significantly to become something else. And then maybe a couple more times. Uh, and that's just something that I just, I don't see a lot in films. Uh, and when it happens, it's kind of exciting uh, because genre is such a, strange concept that's largely derived from marketing and so part of the appeal of genre is you're selling people on an experience that they have a strong familiarity with so a a sort of and by changing genre mid film uh, you're kind of betraying the contract, so to speak, uh, you know, with the audience, and so I think it's always quite brazen. And I also, but but also, I really like movies that end in a different place than they start. So for some people, that will be obnoxious, and they will hate that, and that's fine. Uh, but I'm I'm attracted to that particular thing because I feel like it's. Uh, I like a movie that feels like. It's coming a little bit off the rails. Uh, I don't want it all the way off the rails. <laughs> I do like genre and I like some convention, but uh, but I like when it just sort of seems to like be moving fast enough that the wheels are just slightly lifted off the track, you know. And uh, and uh, anyway, the dark red, much like ICU last year, it has that same quality for me. And again, I won't really disclose the nature of how it evolves, because I feel like that's part of the fun of the movie. But it really starts as a fairly classic horror concept. And then and then it turns, and then it turns, and then it turns. And it kind of ends up in this very other place, which I I loved. It's such a journey to go on. Uh, and basically the sort of inciting premise is a woman is in a mental hospital and she's being interviewed and she's saying that her child was taken from her, uh, essentially kidnapped uh, by a cult, right? And basically the hospital believes her because, well, she's in a mental hospital. And so uh, she's having these conversations where she's explaining what happened through, uh, she's explaining what happened to her child. Uh, and in that in that span of time, we have a series of flashbacks that show us uh, what what happened to her child. Um, the lead actors, by the way, in this film are really good. There is a lot of dialogue, so this is a fairly small film in terms of budget, and it does. Um, There are a number of extended scenes that are just two actors on screen. Uh, And those two actors are April Billingsley and Kelsey Scott. Uh, One is a doctor and one is the patient. Uh, And uh, this is... uh, These are really great performances. And I think that uh, one of the things that's especially striking about it is I feel like a lot of acting in horror movies, especially horror movies that have this degree of... Um, I don't quite know how to describe it but there's a sort of like an un uh, sort of like an, an unironic and kind of like uh, very impassioned kind of uh, t- turn towards genre kind of writ large in this film you know it's not, it's not true it's not like tr- through and through a horror movie in the strictest sense but it is always a genre movie and uh, I think that Acting in those movies, especially when there's a kind of like a real openness about the fact that it is pulling from things that are imaginative and, you know, in the realm of horror, science fiction, etc. I think you get a lot of actors who do their kind of like, I don't know how to frame this exactly respectfully, but they kind of phone it in and they feel like, well, this is not a quote unquote real movie, so I'll save my energy for when I do a real movie. And this is like, this is like a quote unquote silly movie. Uh, there's a lot of dismissiveness around genre. And uh, the thing about these two actors in the, these scenes is like, they are, it is so vividly real. It is like, it's just excellent, charismatic, uh, you know, empathy uh, evoking uh, acting like of, of the highest caliber in scenes about a cult that may have stolen her baby, like, like in the truest sense, and I, I, I really appreciate the commitment to the script and to the material, and I really appreciate as an audience member, like just how strongly they bring to life the characters that they're they're portraying. So I feel like there's something really special about this because it's seemingly, to my mind, made with an incredible integrity on the parts of everyone, uh, you know, the script and the the direction, the cinematography, and the, the performers, but but what it is conveying is like something kind of wild and transformative and pulling from horror and sci-fi and Pulp Fiction, uh, but but not kind of like ever playing it, uh, not ever playing, uh, not ever looking down on itself or its audience, uh, which I love and I really appreciate. Uh, So if you have a chance to see this and you would like something that is, like, horror, that is bordering on other things, uh, this would be a great one, to watch The Dark Red. Okay, the third movie I want to pull up and talk to you about is La Llorona. We need to talk about La Llorona. I almost did a whole episode reviewing this, and then I didn't, because I didn't, because I just didn't. Um, But... I love this. P.S., to clarify, this is not The Curse of Blogger know, which was a Bloodhouse movie. Uh, no, it wasn't a Bloodhouse movie. It was a Condra Universe movie. Kinda, right? Um, anyway, uh, the one with Linda Cordellini. Uh, speaking of character actors. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, you put Linda Cordellini and Carrie Preston and Melanie Linsky and Cleo Duvall and Natasha Lyonne. You put all of them in a movie somewhere and Judy Greer. You get all of them. That's a movie. Anyway, uh, uh, (laughs) not the one with Linda Cardellini. Uh, This one is directed by Gio Bustamante, uh, which, by the way, he directed a movie called Temblores, which in English translates loosely, I think, to Tremors. Uh, That's what the internet tells me. And uh, that film I mentioned actually in my review of Carmilla because I was talking about sort of the complexity of representing homophobia in the year 2020 and how it was incredibly delicate to to deal with. And also like there were films that are in many cases, homophobia in movies feels kind of exploitative, but occasionally there's some that are explicitly about homophobia that are just so effective and well done that they work, you know, for me anyway. Uh, And Temblorious is one of those where it's like really just uh, just awful. I mean, it's awful in the sense of emotionally, it's difficult. But uh, you know, it's a movie about a gay man. Uh, it's a film. the uh, Phoenix uh, uh, is is working in Guatemala. So it's a, a film that takes place in Guatemala. And it's a gay man who is essentially sort of coerced by his family and his church and his friends into conversion therapy. And it's quite uh, quite visceral and difficult. But if you are interested, I think it's a really beautiful and excellently done movie. Um, that is not sort of like not just sort of like picking at the woes of queer people in a in a predatory way, but it's like very vividly about the intersectional kind of collaboration between all these different parts of his life that all kind of reiterate the same message to him, such that it becomes so difficult to actually stand up for yourself and see yourself as having value, and so it's one of the more it's like a, it's one of the more, um, it's like an autopsy on homophobia, where it's like really laying bare the mechanics of it, which I think is quite excellent. But, so when I s- sat down to watch La Llorona, which is on Shudder, I think it's on Shudder in, 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 in all the countries where Shudder is, I hope it is. Um, when I sat down to watch it, I honestly, I, the only thing I could, I, I've said this before, I don't watch trailers. The only thing that I knew about it is it was called La Llorona, it was based on the myth of la llorona and it played at sundance i think um i remember there was a, an announcement that shutter had purchased this film and a movie called scare me which is coming out in october uh i think from sundance but they, they they both played a festival and were bought from the festival by Shutter. that's all literally all i knew is it was another la llorona movie uh and i thought okay uh, and i sat down to watch it and i just didn't know anything which is my preference, and I didn't know it was all this. I didn't know it was Jairo Bustamante, who directed Tambouris. I didn't know... It. I just didn't know anything. Um, so this movie is... If I haven't said this before, I will say clearly, I mean, ghost stories are my favorite horror movie stories. I think the the value of a ghost story is almost always in some way that it is, it is inevitably about uh, trauma and history. It, you know any version of a ghost story is in some way about trauma and history whether it's about a very domestic sense of trauma and history or a familial sense of trauma and history or a kind of national you know regional or national sense of trauma and history uh, or a global sense of trauma and history but you know the the idea of every ghost story is that there is something in the past that is lurking in the present and that that that, that collision needs to happen or that there's something that is going to be achieved through that collision so this movie takes that and just runs with it um and it is uh set in guatemala and i read in an interview with jenobus de where he basically said uh he wanted to make a movie about the issue of uh the genocide of indigenous people in guatemala and he felt that people in guatemala would not watch it and he wanted to very intentionally to choose a genre for his film that would make it attractive to people and he read some research on what movies people in guatemala were watching and he just determined that uh, about 90% of people in Guatemala were watching uh, uh, horror movies and superhero movies. And he thought, well, what? which of these two, <laughs> perchance, per can I make a, a movie about the murder of indigenous people uh, using? Well, which of these genres can I use to tell that story? And he settled on horror. So, in this version of the story, uh, a general who um, oversaw the murder of indigenous people in Guatemala is, uh, is um, what's the word I'm looking for? Exonerative? He's not convicted of murder, whatever that, if you're a lawyer, you know, uh, whatever that word is. Uh, but he basically gets away with, uh, in the eyes of the law, with, with, with this act. And he's aging, and he's living at home with family. And there's a huge media circus around the trial, et cetera, which is where the movie opens with this trial. Or actually, it opens with a scene of him walking around the night, but it shortly transitions into the scene of the trial. And um, anyway, uh, a woman arrives who is working in the home, and you know, doing house chores and things uh, to work for the family while they are hiding out from the press uh and the people who are protesting them uh and this woman has a sort of mysteriousness about her and she perhaps has a traumatic past of some kind and perhaps pray tell that will come to the fore in the present uh and uh, I mean all I can say about this is like to me this is the, the like this is horror at its most effective which is that it is taking something that is visceral and real and it is using horror to deliver you know the message of that topic right it's like completely uh playing by the rules of a ghost story is about the traumatic past and the ramifications it has on our present and and in this case they have chosen a very 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 uh, significant and and uh very traumatic uh event uh and used that as the impetus for something supernatural which is ultimately the kind of return to claim a form of justice uh and so the ghosts in in this movie are you know i think uh quite logically some form of of his past violence returning to see him in his present uh and that's about all i'll say about that but um it's excellent i mean what i will say about this though for sure is again much like i said about some of these other ones it's not a it is not the conjuring universe style horror movie it is very much a, a, a drama a political drama it's a political drama with supernatural elements it is truly you know a political drama about uh, a, a sort of fictionalized account of a of a general who is based on actual generals. Uh, but it is very much about him and his family and it is not a uh, things jump out at you that are scary movie it is a kind of slow burn movie about the kind of the creeping in to the home uh, of all these sort of uh, supernatural metaphors or manifestations of this past trauma so uh, keep that in mind which is to say. Uh, It's not like a real rollicking good time for like a Saturday night. It's (laughs) it's like a very tragic, bleak movie about very important and and uh, incredibly pertinent um, atrocities. uh, But it is not like a it is not an entertainment driven movie as much as it is a uh, a very effective use of horror to deliver a, a powerful political message. Okay, building on that, uh, She Dies Tomorrow. This is directed by Amy Simetz, uh, who, among other things, you might have seen in uh, the remake of Pet Cemetery that came out last year. Uh, she's an actor, but she's also a director. P.S. Uh, after I watched She Dies Tomorrow, I also watched Amy Simetz's I believe her first movie, or her previous movie, which is called Sun Don't Shine, uh, which I found on Amazon Prime in the U.S., and uh, it is also really good, so this is like a double recommendation. That movie is less strictly a horror movie, but it is about a pair of people with a body in their trunk, so uh, it's macabre. Uh, it's more of like a Bonnie and Clyde kind of road trip movie, but that one starts like it's so great because it kind of just starts in the middle of everything and has no setup, and you're just like on the road with them, and everything reveals itself, you know, as it, as it's happening without kind of tipping the hand to the idea that the audience is watching. Uh, in in the way that most narrative features do that one's great and then this one she dies tomorrow which is probably more distinctly has been more distinctly marketed as a horror movie uh, even though I think it's quite also quite uh, of an elaboration on that uh, on the idea of horror um She dies tomorrow is you know it's difficult to describe uh, what, what I would say is, It is surreal and has an element of... It has, like, the barest bones of a conventional horror structure, but it takes those bare bones and it kind of um, transforms them. Uh, You know, it sort of makes them more obtuse than they initially were. And by that I mean it is playing on some of the ideas about um, the idea of contagious death, right? So the premise of the movie is that there's a woman who is uh, essentially waiting to die, she becomes convinced that uh, that she's going to die tomorrow, hence the title she dies tomorrow. Uh, and as she communicates, oh by the way, speaking of character actors, hello, uh, Jane Adams. Oh, Jane Addams and Wonder Boys. Have you seen Wonder Boys, um, which based on a Michael Chabon novel, who uh, which is like one of my favorite authors from high school that I read when I was like being very ambitious and reading more books for fun. Um, but she has that scene in Wonder Boys, the Curtis Hanson movie, and she plays uh, a waitress named Oola, uh, and she's like, and like a Michael Douglas friend to her, and she's pregnant, and he just looks at her and says, Oola. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great movie. Watch Wonder Boys. It's not a horror movie. That's really good. Uh, and Jane Addams is in it. Um, Jane Addams is in this. Uh, it's uh, By the way, kind of everyone is in this movie. It's really great. It Maybe don't look at the IMDb page because it, I really liked how uh, I didn't know who was in the movie and then I kept saying, oh look, it's that guy. Oh look, it's her. Oh look, it's... Uh, oh." Um, that's kind of a fun... It's almost a fun game in this movie. Uh, And it might be one of the things that's... uh, One of the few things that's fun. (laughs) That's actually not true. It's actually... There is a really dark sense of humor about the movie. Uh, So Caitlin Caitlin Shield plays the main character who becomes convinced that she's going to die tomorrow. And then she tells Jane Addams she's going to die tomorrow. And then Jane Addams becomes convinced that she's going to die tomorrow. And then she goes to a party and tells everyone at the party that they're going to die tomorrow. And then everyone becomes contagiously obsessed with the idea that they're going to die tomorrow. But it's like realized in this sort of like um uh, almost like david lynch surreal like flashes of light and sort of you know crying and just looking at the camera and crying and having these incredible apocalyptic realizations uh it's all very kind of like uh gently paced but like explosively sort of seismically oriented because everyone's sort of coming to this like incredible existential dread um but in this very kind of like contained small movie set in like i don't know like two houses basically in california um it's incredibly wonderful to watch i love it i think it's mean, again this is a not the strict in the strictest sense a narrative feature um in the sense that it's like not driven by a By a particular motivation to discover anything about the plot of the movie, but it does sort of do this thing where it—it's like if you could take a Final Destination type plot um, where everyone dies systematically, which is a very typical horror structure. uh, But if you could like take that movie and then like if you sort of imagine that it had viscosity and it was like an amorph, it was like. It ha- imagine it was like a, a sphere and then you could like just sort of like take that sphere of like narrative continuity and just sort of like wrap your hands around it and like twist it like a stress toy that's kind of what this feels <laughs> like if you could just imagine like the sort of like lava lamp atmospheric color palette version of final destination um if final destination were a lava lamp is what this movie feels like That's totally, that's easy to follow, right? You got it. Um, Anyway, uh, if you don't like things that vary from narrative structure and are about plot and the discovery of information through plot, um, this is is not going to be for you. Uh, If you would like a sort of abstract kind of like nihilistic trauma nightmare that is also kind of like bleakly macabre funny, full of interesting character actors, uh, this is for you. Um, and and I'm the latter, so it was for me, and I really liked it. Uh, but again, I understand that there is sort of an audience for everything, and that not this is not for everyone. Although I will say that I think the reviews that I saw online were like often quite mean and a little bit foolish, because again, uh, there's not sort of only one way to make a movie, and I think uh, there are different experiences that can happen with movies, but... Uh, it's very obvious, Even if you hate the movie, like which is possible because everyone hates some movies. I hate some movies, which I just don't talk about them. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, even if you hate it, I you know I don't I don't think that there's any kind of anything kind of arbitrary about it. Like you can't, if you're just willfully believing that the filmmaker of this movie, like couldn't possibly have thought through a, 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 a narrative plot. That, like it was that it was that it was a failure to do that one thing that you think movies do. I feel like you've just misunderstood how movies work. So, you know, respectfully, you, you this does what it does, and there are other versions of this type of story, much more conventional ones, and, and that have a particular, you know, that have a very straightforward narrative structure. Final Destination is one, um. It follows is another right. The idea of like the contagious passer downer of death is um, it's 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 incredibly it's like ancient basically (laughs) basically in the horror genre. And and, I mean, one of the earliest examples is Thirteen Women from nineteen thirty two, I think, Um, which is like this great movie with uh, is it Myrna Loy, I believe, and it's uh, it's like it's actually well, it's actually just all character actors pretty much. Um, and, uh, it's, well, see, I've had this, (laughs) I've shown 13 Women to people, and one of the things that I find that's really funny is that there, it's called 13 Women, it's based on a book called 13 Women, but it's, uh, they, apparently they removed three of the women, uh, and so there's only ten women in the movie, but I- Wikipedia or some other website said online that there were ten women in the movie, but I counted and I only found nine, so I, perhaps there's a hidden woman, but but the idea is it's just a movie about, like, a, um, oh, it's, like, racist too. Oh, there's, like, yellow face in it. It's, called, it's the 30s. It's weird. It's a weird movie. If you like old, weird movies and you want to watch something that's, like, cuckoo bananas, you can watch 13 women, but uh, the premise is that there's, like, a there's a, a classmate a former classmate of this group of women uh, who is of Asian descent and that's sort of where the yellow face comes in. Uh, and uh, and she like is is cursing all of her like former friends and they keep dying systematically one at a time. By the way, often through, like, elaborate death, like, the opening scene is someone who dies on a trapeze, which is straight at a Final Destination, right? Like, all this kind of elaborate sequential death stuff, like, 13 Women is is possibly the first version of that. We don't know that for sure, but it it possibly is. Um, But then you get it in, like, The Omen, and you get it in some other things uh, with those sort of elaborate death films where there's, like, a, a sort of, like, Rube Goldberg device that, like, the lightning hits the fire... You know, the fire escape, the fire escape crashes and hits a car, the car, you know, the person in the car jettisons out the window, the person jettisons out the window, and then they push you into oncoming traffic, like that sort of like series of roundabout ways of actually dying because you're fated to do so. We get that in stuff like 13 Women and then stuff like The Omen and then eventually all the way on Final Destination and these other kinds of movies that come after. So, um, Oh, another movie I'm going to talk about later. I'll get to it. But there's another movie that I, <laughs> that has that same basic structure. Um, anyway, uh, this movie is like those movies, but different. And, and and I appreciate that and I like it. I like that it's more of an atmospheric dread movie than it is a narrative linear feature uh and it's funny and it's odd and it's got like a an interesting energy and there's something sort of cathartic and and just sort of like like co- like comfy sad about it um she dies tomorrow i'm talking about she dies tomorrow again if that's not clear and uh and i would recommend that also 13 women except there is racism so uh you know brace yourself but it is uh it is just like a weird novelty and it. Uh, it's one of the few movies that has Peg Entwistle in it, which Peg Entwistle is very famous for being the person who uh, 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 died by suicide by jumping off the H on the Hollywood sign. Uh, and and Thirty Moon was one of her... I think she's the one on the trapeze? I can't remember. I, I haven't watched it in a couple of years. It's goofy, but watch it. It's, kind of found, it's really kind of great. Um, and watch it tomorrow, too, if you're interested. Uh, okay, so... Uh, Oh, you know, actually, one thing I did want to say before, I, I, and I forgot, um, is there is there was an article in Time, uh, which was originally called, the fr- the thing about online journalism is this, I think it is kind of um, fucked that they change the headlines of the articles like ten times. I guess based upon, like, feedback and or um, what's trending. So, like, I can't tell you how many times I've clicked on an article or shared an article on social media, and then, like, by the time I go back to it, the title is different. So the title of this article was originally called something like What Happens When Women Take Over Horror. And my guess is that like, attracted some amount of animosity or sexism or bullshit so that they changed it to something like, Hey, do you have anxiety? These w- movies directed by women are perfect for you or something. They changed it to some other thing where that like, took, o- took away the authority of the idea that the, the article was really about what happens when women start transforming and innovating horror, um, which is what the article is about. And I don't like that they change the headline. I don't like that when you publish something and you just change the headline. Unless the headline is like notably offensive or needs to be changed. Like, Why would you just change it like that? And then I have read some articles where the headline in the article is different than the headline in the URL. Which is different than the headline that, that shows up when you click share on Twitter. Which means that they change that headline at least three times. How very dare! So anyway, on um, Time Magazine, there is an article. It, it's great. It's great. The content, uh, the materials, the you know, the article is enjoyable. Um, it's just I don't like. I don't. Why do you change the title so much? Um, also, because the original title is, I think, the accurate title, and everything after has been sort of like seems sort of apologetic. But the the title, the original title was, you know, what happens when women take over horror, and it was particularly looking at a, a, a spate of recent films this past summer, which happened really innovative and exciting horror movies directed by women. And She Dies Tomorrow was among them. Uh, so was uh, Shirley, the Josephine Decker movie about Shirley Jackson, which is wonderful. Um, uh, Amulet, which I talked about last month, uh, Roma Garai movie, uh, Relic, the Natalie Erica James movie that I talked about last episode as well um and if there was another one I forgot it but there's been quite a, a quite a, a great run um, they actually omitted Emily Harris's Carmilla, which I think is a shame because that one is also excellent uh but there has been this wonderful run of movies horror movies directed by women this summer and uh uh you know I just ha- I have honestly nothing but excitement over that uh, and one of the things that the article addressed is that uh you know there's, Inevitably, and this is why the first the first headline was better, but there is inevitably there inevitably is going to be as women have more and more prominence and presence in directing and writing and producing horror movies, there's going to be transformation that happens. You know, that the the genre of horror had historically been innovated and created in the image and, and from the minds of men and that brought about a certain aesthetic and a certain narrative uh structure and a certain a certain emphasis on on specific themes which have become fairly canonical and that's fine but like when new people come into the fray, they're going to change it. They're going to they're going to innovate it, uh, and one of the things that has happened, uh, among the things that the article talks about, which I agree with, is that with all of these films, very much the sense of dread comes from within rather than from without. That it's more about the fear of. You know what will what will happen? Uh, what is or will or can't happen within yourself? Or what s- sort of atrocity or scary thing or or unexpected thing could come from within you? Uh, whether it's losing control of your mind or losing control of your body or um, or you know the sort of like dread of your own thought of your own death rather than being sort of creature-driven or external monster-driven. I think that's true. And I think also, too, they, they all do push back on some of the narrative conventions of those movies. And they sort of, they they break away from some of the particular uh, conventional structures. Uh, and, you know, She Dies Tomorrow is an example of that, where it's like, it is mostly a, a mood piece. It's mostly atmospheric. There is this sort of, like, threat of contagious death, which is very familiar in horror. But the fact that this is a imaginative and innovative film that looks at something that has happened in horror for decades since maybe 13 women, maybe before, I don't know if there's other examples. It's hard, it's hard to find the earliest version of anything because half of all the movies that were made before 1940 are lost because celluloid explodes. But, but you know, at least, you know, at least almost a hundred years now ago, uh, you know, we had other films that did this. So, um, you know, first of all, that means that we've had quite enough of them in exactly that form, uh, and we can we can stand to have some ones that we can stand some variety. Thanks, uh, skeptical people, uh, but also like you know, uh, there's there's something there's something particularly interesting about watching uh, any filmmaker, but you know, particularly this latest crop of uh, of strong films directed by women that the as women have this presence in making horror movies that they're going to look at what has been done in horror and they're going to create a version of it that feels uh you know resonant to them and it's going to be different and that's going to be a, a, an innovation that's a thing to get behind not a thing to stand in front of so uh some of the skepticism of uh, she Dies Tomorrow, and some of these other films, which I think have had, uh, I think just wildly, um, just unnecessarily vicious uh, criticisms in some of the some of the platforms like Letterboxd. Uh, you know, here's the thing: if a movie doesn't do exactly what every other movie does. That doesn't mean that no one understands how to make a movie, it means that someone has made a different set of choices. And perhaps you could think about those choices, and perhaps you don't enjoy the choices, but I think uh, to act as though those choices are incompetent because they are different than your expectation, I think, is really a, f- a flaw, your. it's a failure of imagination. Anyway, uh, look at the Time article, it's really good, uh, and all the movies it talks about are wonderful, and I've talked about, I think, most of all of them. So. Uh, that's a suggestion as well. Uh, anyway, uh, the next movie on this list that I wanted to talk about is you know why don't I jump ahead and talk about Countdown? So I want the the movie that I was alluding to earlier about another movie of that I watched this month, which is uh, of the Ilk final destination. Um, I watched a movie called Countdown, which is not new. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, she dies tomorrow is available on. On demand, not on. De- what's the phrase? VOD, video on demand. It's on streaming. If you're looking for it, uh, Countdown is not new. I think it came out last year. I believe, I believe it was the only wide release horror movie that I did not see in theaters last year, and it was only because the reviews were not good for it, and it was just uh, not out at a time that was convenient for me. <laughs> and I saw practically everything else, and. It just didn't happen, so uh, I never saw it. And then I finally caught it on, I think Showtime or Stars on a cable channel, and I watched it. And it's really just enjoyable. Um, I'm a child of the '90s. P.S. This is a, okay. So this, uh, this is a fascinating tangent. Um, one thing I realized recently. Uh, as someone who was a child of the 90s who started to love horror during the 90s when they were a child, um, I realized recently that essentially all of the horror movies that I watched in the 90s that I loved, um, which are movies like Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, uh, Final Destination, Urban Legend, The Faculty, all of those movies were directed, sorry, were written by gay men, which I think is totally fascinating. Uh, Silvio Horta wrote Urban Legend. Uh, he was the creator of Ugly Bed. He has since passed. Uh, Jeffrey Reddick um, was the initial writer of Final Destination. Uh, and Kevin Williamson, very famously, was the uh, writer of many of those <laughs> movies, including Scream and I Know We Did This Summer and The Faculty. So I think that's, I don't have an answer as to why that's significant, but I think it is more than a little bit significant that I grew up watching horror movies and being very, very fascinated and attracted to horror movies that were all written by gay men. And I don't know what I want to say about that yet, but one day I'll probably say something and I hope it'll be good. Just just as a tangent and a side note, but listen, as someone who grew up watching those movies, uh, I love a high concept, death-based horror movie, right? I loved, uh, I've mentioned this before, I loved the Jeff Wadlow movie Truth or Dare that came out like a year or two ago. Uh, anytime there's a group of friends and they're getting, they're all going to die in a, in sequence because of a curse or a, a something, a ruin, a, a gizmo, a killer puppet, whatever. I don't care. Whatever, 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 you, whatever you got, I'll take. Uh, but I love, I just love that. I love a high concept, uh, sequential death horror movie. Okay, I just do, and and it's one of my, uh, it's one of my, um, what's the word? Uh, I the phrase in my mind is pet peeve, but what I mean to say is it's like my one of my, it's the opposite of a pet peeve. It's like a pet love. Is that a thing? <laughs> what do you call it when it's like particular to you and you like it? It's not a pet peeve. It's the inverse of a pet peeve. It's a pet. I don't know. It's a thing that I'm especially attracted to, okay? Like, in a way that where it's like, I understand that these are not necessarily great movies, but for whatever reason, this structure of movie works for me. And I think a lot of it's nostalgia for the movies I grew up in the 90s because all of those movies I just mentioned are like, a group of friends who has a wacky thing that happens to them, and then they have to try and survive the curse that is chasing them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera countdown is that structure um the sort of you know the structure that i think she dies tomorrow takes and sort of like smashes with a with a with a hard large rock um uh is it's that basic structure done with with an, an app it's an app it's an, app. It's, an app. it's an app that kills you listen i know that that's not the most exciting thing And it might sound a little bit silly. And the answer is, you're right. It is very silly. But I really, uh, I'm a sucker for this kind of movie. And if you are, I'm just communicating this for your benefit. If you are also someone who grew up in the 90s who loves Final Destination and urban legend and like high concept sequential death horror movies. uh, This one is very enjoyable and incredibly familiar and very comforting. So just a quick word of love for the movie Countdown, which I enjoyed watching. Uh, not, exi- not exciting or innovative, but very, very comfortable and familiar like bread. Anyway, uh, moving on to, is this the last thing? Wait, let me do, let me pay more attention. I think this is the last thing. Okay, I'm going to end with this then. Um, I saw a movie that I really enjoyed called Rapture in Blue. Uh, this movie is on Amazon Prime right now, and I think it's going to be on DVD in October. It it seems to have been bought by that company, Altered Innocence, which releases a lot of queer movies that are very um, small in in budget and also uh, not always horror, but like in the realm of Um, not exploitation, necessarily. The the, 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 films that actually, like, films that are horror, other, miscellany, uh, queer miscellany, uh, (laughs) yeah, let's go with queer miscellany. They seem to distribute queer miscellany alternate in a sense. And uh, and they're distributing this movie on DVD and, and home video and things. Uh, it, which is if you want a a disc that plays it, it's good. That's a good thing to have. And um, but if not, you can actually get it with Amazon Prime, or you might be able to rent it for a fee on other services. Uh, this is uh, it's a relatively concise movie. It's about an hour long. It's like somewhere in this in the sort of like the spectrum between a short and a feature. It's probably you know. It would have been a six reel movie in the twenties, which would have qualified it as a feature in the eight, like in the innovative moment where the feature was a new thing. The original feature was six reels, which made it about sixty minutes. Um, so it, it would be about it's you know it's it's a, you know it's about the same length as Charlie Chaplin's The Kid. Okay, so um, this one is great. It's like a it's a queer surreal movie in very much the spirit of. David Lynch and particularly Gregor Rocky. I don't know if Gregor Rocky is an actual influence for the filmmaker, but, um, which by the way, I've also learned a lot that filmmakers often don't actually have the influences that I seem to always think that they have. But, uh, it's like, um, hmm. it's like a, a surreal nightmare envisionment of a coming out narrative. And the closet, it's like, it's like the closet is it's sort of a spectral being that is pursuing the protagonist is, would we call it the closet or would we just call it the like manifestation of his, uh, shame perhaps is chasing after him in this sort of like very, uh, very David, you know, that, you know, that scene in, um, uh, driver Drive where like, the camera goes behind the dumpster and then there's just like a person at the dumpster that scares you. And then the movie flips upside down and you go into a different character's perspective and they switch roles. Uh, It's like that. It's like, (laughs) there's like a spectral something that's like hanging out in the background and it's, uh, it's pursuing the protagonist Uh, and it's sort of a sort of triangle of, of people. It's a, uh, a young guy who has a girlfriend who is a queer person who's struggling to identify that about himself but is being chased by the sort of spooky monster version of his own shame and, and embarrassment and is confronted when he meets this new uh, gentleman with some repressed feelings of sexual attraction which manifests as this like kind of like nightmare of self and uh, and it's great it's great it's um <laughs> i love david lynch i actually haven't seen nearly enough like i i've seen probably most of the movies and but only probably most of them only once which as i know is not as uh, as attuned to the to the legacy as i could be uh, but i'm actually way more of a fan of Greer rocky and uh just even the idea of the triangle is like Rocky's movies almost often often if not always have some sort of triangle of people that involve two men and a woman uh, like doom generation for example or kaboom or any any of these other movies in fact his first movie is exactly this his first movie I watched his first movie his very first movie pre the living end which is I, I don't know if it was actually distributed or not but it was it's literally called three bewildered people three Boo. oh God, it's such a long title <sighs> breathe three bewildered people in the night. Which is, like, you could title a book about Gregor Rocky, Three Bewildered People in the Night. Because it's kind of what all, like, that kind of describes all these movies. But there's always a triangle, there's always, like, a queer, there's always like, usually, like, a sort of, like, a queer guy, and then a woman, and then, like, someone who's, like, ambivalent. Um, and then there's some sort of, like, erotic triangle, where, like, the men are dating and then the men, you know, the, one of the men chooses the woman, the woman, and then it goes, it goes on and on. Uh, but often with this sort of like totally dystopian, uh, nightmare, uh, surreal undertone. Which, by the way, if you're an interest, interested in queer horror and you haven't watched Gregor Rocky movies because they are not express, explicitly labeled as horror, uh, I cannot express to you enough how much you should go watch his movies Doom Generation and Nowhere and um, uh, Kaboom. Which ones are the closest to horror? Doom Generation and Nowhere, I think, are definite ones you should watch. If you like horror and you're, you want like a surreal, nightmare, queer version of horror. Um, some of them are actually quite nice. like Splendors, like sort of like a sweet movie that's sort of a character drama. And then Mysterious Skin is incredibly depressing. And I've only watched it once, but it's brilliant. But my heart can't take it more than once. So I just think about it sometimes and I don't ever look at it ever again. Uh, the point being, anyway, I'm sorry, I'm so uh, distracted, uh, Distractable and currently distracted. Rapture in Blue is lovely. I just want to put, I want to, I want to strongly recommend. I really love this movie. I, I think the reviews of it are, again, I think a little bit ridiculous. There, uh, a lot of people seem to get very excited when they recognize references, and then they think that they can dismiss or discredit the work because it makes references and. Uh, I think that that's, like, not the point. I mean, that's not, I mean, like, I don't know. I also just feel like that particular critique is deployed randomly when people want to deploy it. Like, um, like, like, yes, I'm sure that there have been dismissive re- reactions to directors who are fairly, re- like, referential, but, like, there's also a ton of them that are so uh, kind of universally praised for being referential that I kind of don't, I don't know that I understand what discerns uh, like a productive reference from a sort of indulgent reference. And I'm not sure it matters. I kind of think there isn't a difference. And some people just really want to like deploy that as a bullshit thing. Anyway, uh, I really like this. I love the idea of taking a great queer story about discovery and subconsciousness and coming out and worrying about, you know, were like like you know literally hiding out in the closet and uh, trying to keep this sort of scary monster thing in the closet and uh this sort of sense of surveillance that's in the movie where he's being kind of photographed you know from mysterious origins and there's just all of these things feel so vividly queer and bring in the surreal and the, the horrific and the atmospheric to deliver a very queer feeling and a queer message and a queer experience. And to me, that's like such a great find because it doesn't happen nearly enough. I think a lot of queer horror is like either it's queer people being obsessed with straight people in the sense that we're like all watching these horror movies that are about straight people Uh, And we kind of find our way into the story or it's like often it's a version of horror that's like, oh, well, slasher movies are popular. Let's make a slasher movie where all of the characters are lesbians and now it's a lesbian slasher. And it kind of is just imagining the, the heterosexual situation as being with queer people in it. But to me, something that is like essentially queer in that the thing that is scary or the thing that drives the horror of the movie is about a very queer feeling that queer people can relate to, that not everyone can relate to, especially heterosexual people, that just doesn't happen enough. And it happens you know, occasionally. And when it does, I think it's really special. So I think that Rapture in Blue is really special for that reason. Uh, and I really recommend that you watch it. If you're interested in queer horror, it's an hour long. I think that you will enjoy to watch it, and I think that it deserves a lot of support for that reason. Uh, also, it's a very young filmmaker. I googled. I, as someone who's in their 30s, I was so incompetent. Um, at uh, I think I think the filmmaker's 21 or 20. Uh, I think he made it when he was 19. As someone who's very incompetent at 19, I'm very impressed by the degree of just fundamental organizational skills it would take to shoot a movie, uh, <laughs> which I've never done and never intend to do. Uh, so, whatever. I, I remember watching Orson Welles' very first film and I was at NYU and did, doing my master's in cinema studies. And the thing that uh, the professor Bill Simon pointed out was like, Orson Welles' first film was filled with references to other films because everyone's first film is inevitably filled with references to the things that they love because uh, that's why you make movies, uh, and that's just it's it's kind of a cliche because it's everyone does it, but also like it's kind of the point. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of the point that you're going to make something that 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 evokes the things that motivated you to to make. Movies in the first place, so yes, there's a there's a David Lynch element, there's a surreal element. Uh, it reminds me of Gregoraki movies because that's what, that was my kind of nostalgic reference. But uh, within that, it is a structuring of horror around an experience that is distinctly queer, and it is uh, just incredibly atmospheric and effective and wonderful. And so, I really recommend uh, Rapture and Blue. Okay, that's everything. Um I hope some of that was clear. It's very late and I uh for whatever reason decided to record this between the hours of three and four AM. So uh possibly I made no sense. Maybe you tell me. Uh if you mean it all the way to the end, that's so wonderful. I don't know why you did that. Uh you can actually uh, you can contact me if you'd like to at gayforhorror at gmail.com and I'd love to hear from people if you would like to tell me anything. I don't know what you want to tell me. Who cares? But if you'd like to, to, if you saw any of the movies and you like them, you can tell me. Or if you want to recommend I watch a certain movie, you can do that by contacting me at gayforhorror at gmail.com. All right. um, We are at the end, and I do have to tell you every single time that it's very important that I tell you that, in fact, that we do recruit and uh, we do convert. So um, you're totally gay now. Bye.